0: Hello, and welcome to Worst Church Ever, the only progressive Christian podcast that can't tell Revelation 6 from a 1980s Mid-South promo on the Superstation. We are that Christian podcast that stopped going to youth group when the fundamentalist volunteers who were in charge told us in no uncertain terms we had better kiss dating goodbye. Funny how those two prudes were more obsessed with sex than Rebecca St. James was. If you had a foot in fundamentalism or evangelicalism in the 90s, you probably get that reference. If you didn't, good for you. We'd love to know what it was like to not be told your Catholic friends were going to hell. If you're new here, an extra special word of welcome to you. And if you've listened before, thanks for tuning in again. We've been looking at the narrative lectionary readings for the first lectionary week of this coming September, which is September 2021. Week two of the narrative lectionary readings asks us to look at the story of Abraham. But to be perfectly honest, it doesn't give us very much to work with. Six verses from Genesis 15, and not even the good ones. We don't get the covenant of pieces when God very clearly secures both sides of his fundamental covenant with Abraham. We don't get the floating pot of smoke and the, the torch that's lit on fire passing among the separated sacrifice. We don't get to speculate then about why the hell the writers of Genesis think God is so hung up on these strange barbaric rituals. Sucks to your ass our narrative lectionary. We're going to do that anyway. Picking up with Abraham means that we are skipping Genesis 3 through Genesis 14. And that's in part because the narrative lectionary is designed to be done over a three-year cycle. So there's no Cain and Abel in this year's readings, but you're intended to get that next year or the year after. Same for the story of Noah and the Flood and the story of the Tower of Babel. Now, these three stories, Cain and Abel, the flood, the Babel story, they're really the only narrative things that are happening between chapter 3, which we looked at last time, and the call of Abraham in chapter 12. Now, that's not to say that those stories aren't interesting or important, but rather that the narrative lectionary does have an agenda, perhaps goal is a better way of putting it, of telling a sort of complete biblical narrative every year. And as we said in episode two, all of that is fine as long as we remember that the Bible was not created as one sustained narrative. Now, you're free to believe that everything we have as Jewish or Christian scripture was brought together in the minds and the hearts of scribes and prophets and apostles, and that God has always intended for this book, this collection of books, remember, to tell one great narrative through which we might come to faith. You are free to believe that idea, even love that idea, but you are not free from admitting that such a view makes a very specific claim about the Bible before we even open it. You are not free to deny that people across many Jewish and Christian and other traditions approach the Bible as if there is one discoverable, God-mandated way to treat the text, and that if we are up to the task, we have stout hearts and good character, We'll decode the mystery, we'll get an A-plus on the quiz, and God will put us on the fridge of heaven instead of burning us like trash. The Bible as a whole makes no claim about its wholeness, its role. It provides no neutral hermeneutic, that is, no rubric through which to understand it on its own terms. As a collection of 66 books, at least in the Protestant Christian tradition, there's no such thing as its own terms. There are the terms of the original writers and audiences, and then the things we're most familiar with, the terms we bring to it, those things that have been accreted through experience, tradition, reason, emotional disorders, the full spectrum of human existence. If you want to believe that the Holy Spirit guided the creation of the Christian canon as we have it, please go right ahead. But understand that the Bible does not and cannot say that about itself. You are appealing to extra-biblical authority to claim that the Bible is the only final, inerrant, infallible, whatever adjective you like, authority. That's a tautology, which is a polite way of saying nonsense, a secular translation of what the Bible itself calls fine-sounding arguments. In short, and this is important, fundamentalist and most evangelical rubrics for understanding Christian faith, understanding the gospel, understanding God's work in the world, or understanding the whole point of all of this, is built upon an edifice of extra-biblical hedges and assumptions. My fundamentalist neighbor needs me to believe a certain tradition about what the Bible is before I get to meet Jesus. I just don't think that's how Jesus works. I've shared some reasons why in previous episodes, especially one and two, both under eight minutes, and if you haven't heard them and would like to, you can go ahead and check those out. I don't mean to repeat myself like some irrational number, some lopsided fraction, some never-ending loop of this, that, or the other. But here's the thing. Because faith traditions that rely on scripture necessarily appeal to outside authority to assert that there is no outside authority, we have no choice but to look at the nitty-gritty dirt-band details of the text. Approaching things canonically, in the sense of an authoritative norm for faith and conduct, which usually means, now, see here, boy, this is who the good Lord says we're allowed to hate. Well, that's an article of faith that has everything to do with human systems, and nothing to do with the biblical tradition as such. Yes, these stories, these witnesses, these wonderful, multi layered, and so often nuanced stories and songs and prayers came to be viewed as canonical, came to be essential in the cultic practices of ancient Israel at some point, of the later rabbinic tradition that gets started in the context of Second Temple Judaism, just like the Jesus Movement, for people like the Essenes at Qumran, or for the early Jewish followers of Jesus, and then again in other ways for eventually what became known as the Church, and then in different splintered ways for factions, groups, and denominations. The truth is, we don't know when Abraham, first of Israel's patriarchs, lived. We don't know how much of the Abraham tradition reflects a collective memory of a real person or a real family or a real group of families and how much of it is meant to tell a certain kind of story about how God interacts with people, about how people at a given point in time, and again, we don't really know when, reflected on God's movement among their ancestors and what that meant about their origins and about their contemporary situations, about how God moved among them in their present setting. Certainly, with the move to the story of Abraham, we shift from what Bible scholars call the primeval stories, or primeval history part of Genesis, that's the creation and the flood and things like that, and into the patriarchal stories. Now, don't let the designation fool you. These stories definitely denote uh, a patriarchal society. However, they are also subversive. They also critique, in my estimation, that kind of society because these stories are full of strong, well-drawn women. And it's very, very often that the narrative, the birthright, the blessing, the covenant hinges on their actions, the work they do in that uncomfortable but really familiar place between a promise and its fruition. In the next episode, we'll start to look at the details of the Abraham story, and we may well start where the lectionary wants to drop us off uh, with those six verses from chapter 15, or we may, as is often the best practice, take it from the top. All that and more next time on Worst Church Ever. Thank you for listening. Um, There are different ways that you can reach out and support the podcast. And I want to take this opportunity to thank Tracy, our very first uh, supporter over on Anchor.fm. Tracy, thank you so much. It means a lot to us. And uh, because of your support, we're able to keep on producing these episodes and seeing where this takes us. So thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.